My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Thanksgiving, my wife and I spent some time talking with our sons uh, just about that concept of Thanksgiving, but we did it on the reverse by talking about an entitlement mentality. You know, it's easy for us to develop an entitlement mentality. We're here in a blessed country, a great nation. We have a lot of freedoms. We have a lot of pleasures. And yet it's easy for people to forget that. And I know that in our family, uh, you know, dad has a job and we pay our bills. We have a house. We have, you know, a vacation or two every year. Uh, one day we might have a retirement. Who knows about that? And we have a couple cars. And, you know, it's easy for children to grow up in a household like that and kind of forget, uh, not really get a picture. I grew up in a household more on the poverty scale. And so our family relied a lot on other people's assistance, government assistance and, you know, and such. And so I understand what it's like to have, you know, the things that I have and appreciate those. But just by nature, my sons don't because they just think that's normal. And I think in our culture, we tend to do that. If we went without in our years as a person, when we grow up and we get married, we have kids, we tend to shower them with things or I could say spoil them with things. And my wife and I have always been concerned about that. We tell grandparents, you know, just especially Christmas time, you know, you can't just throw everything at them. Besides that, it's plastic and needs batteries. It's going to be dead in a week anyway. But it's easy for us just by nature of being in a blessed country to develop an entitlement mentality and to think that what we have by way of all the privileges around us are our God-given rights. And so what's an entitlement mentality? Well, entitlement mentality simply stated is somebody owes me something. More specifically, it's a state of mind in which an individual comes to believe that privileges are actually rights. And that they deserve those rights. So think about this. We have rights in our country. Again, blessed country. We have a lot of freedoms here. We have our rights. I mean, if you don't believe it, we actually have a bill of rights. Okay. We have uh, our God-given inalienable rights by our creator that he endowed those to us. They are the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So at the very core of our founding of our nation, in all the documents threaded through, we have rights. But we also have responsibilities to fulfill in order to make those rights available to ourselves and to others. And easy, it's really easy to maybe, you know, kind of swing a little too much on the scale of rights at times. Maybe generationally, we have more responsibilities, and then our children... They have more rights and their children have more responsibilities. I think about this in relationship to uh, the balance, you know, 
We, we're blessed. And if you don't get out of our country, you don't see that. You don't recognize all that we have. I am privileged to go to places to train pastors, Cuba, East Africa, to go to countries and to see that we really are blessed. And when I show up in a place, I'm, on our economy, I'm not rich. But when I go to a place over there, uh, I am the richest person in the town. You know, I have the things. I have a house. I have cars. I have these things. And it's, um, it's easy to forget that. So every once in a while, I talk to my boys about this. When I go to a country, I'll in advance say, hey, here's kind of, you know, how it looks like. Here's the scale balancing it. This is uh, the GDP of that country. This is what a person would make in a year and then show them what we make over here. And it, at least at this point in their growing up years, they're able to see that we really are blessed. And so every once in a while, it's good for me to remind ourselves as a church, remind us that we are living in a very blessed, prosperous time. May not feel like that sometimes. Maybe some of you struggle economically, but just some stats to to back that up. Bottom line here, 14% of the world goes hungry every day. There's 800,000 to a 800,000, 800,000 million, 800 million people, almost a billion people. How about that? Uh, go to bed without having a nutritious meal every day. That's a lot of people. Now that some live in our country, but in other parts of the world, this is normal. To not have three square meals a day, to not have a nutritious meal. People go for days without food. 14% of the world. Think about that. They just don't have basic food. And we just go to our refrigerator, right? We open it up. We go to our stores and we open it up. We just, it, it, we just kind of take it for granted. Another stat in relationship to electricity, 25% of the world has no electricity in their home. Again, we take it for granted, except yesterday it went out in South Hillsboro and uh, we didn't have electricity. And you're like, whoa, what do I do without the internet? My kids are looking at me like, can we talk to each other? <laughs> What is this thing called conversation? Um, no, you know, it's like we, we take it for granted. But again, if you go to places around the world, uh, homes aren't even wired for electricity. Because what would you do with electricity? It's not a country or culture that really lives off that. We cannot think about life without electricity. If you take a look at the next stat, we think about water, access to water. A third of the world lacks access to clean water. Just basic drinking water that's not going to get you sick, you know, not going to cause you to have all kinds of intestinal diseases. We easily go to the tap or we go to the refrigerator. We get filtered water. We get chilled water. And uh, we can go to the store and just buy water in bottles. But we don't realize that a third of the world doesn't have access to that. And if you can just go to your tap and get clean drinking water, you know, you're, you're in a a pretty good part of the world. And then finally, we think about this, the next stat, 91% of the world doesn't own a car. And some of you don't own a car and that's okay. Some of you own several cars. Our family has two cars or two and a half cars because I'm working on one. Um, but the fact is basic transportation. Um, when I was in Rwanda, I was talking about one of my messages. I shared one of my messages in church and I shared it in Kigali and everybody got it. It was about blind spots. And I shared that this summer in a passage from the book of Psalms, blind spots, talked about teaching my, my son to drive and walking around the car blind spots. Then I went out to Bujasera and I said, does anybody have a car? Nobody drives a car out here. Everybody rides public transport. And so it's like, how do I, how do I talk about driving a car when nobody has a concept and they never will drive a car? So think about that. A lot of the world doesn't have access to the basic modes of transportation that we have. So when you put it all together, you kind of sum it all up. If you eat every day, if you have electricity in your home, and if you have clean running water and own a car, you have a better life than 99% of the world. And yet we live wanting more and expecting more. 
I think about this um, rights and responsibilities. A couple of days ago, I was driving home. I was down Cyprus, uh, stopped at the red light there. It's kind of a longer light. There's a big five on the right. There's Joanne Fabrics going into the Esplanade Target there. And I sat there at that light, and uh, there's usually a couple people uh, begging. They have signs there, and they're uh, begging for burgers or whatever for dollars. And so I saw a, an older gentleman, long gray hair, standing there, and an SUV pulled up, and someone reached out and, and handed him money. It was dollar bill money. You know, it was like not. It was a silent offering, you know, it was, just, it was cash, you know, and he handed it that, that, that guy money and he thanked him, had my window rolled down. And, uh, then immediately when that person reached out and handed him money, someone on the other corner, a lady that was sitting in a wheelchair with a blanket over her holding a sign, she leapt up. She got behind the wheelchair. She shoved it across the road, ran, pushed it, sat in the wheelchair, put the blanket, put the sign up and wanted money from the SUV and the SUV drove off. And so the gal that formerly been in the wheelchair, she starts kicking the guy who had received the money and starts demanding the money because she was there first. And I think to myself, see, those are the rights, you know, and no responsibilities. When I think about this, I think about uh, men and women that have served the military. For some reason, obviously the military, uh, they can have a better balance of this. They know that they have rights, but they also appreciate the responsibilities because when you serve, you're serving. Okay. And it is called service for a reason because you're you know, in service to someone. Um, but they get the balance of the rights and the responsibilities in a great way. And those of us that haven't served, it's easy for us and it's easy for our age to think more about the rights that we have and to champion our rights. And don't get me wrong, I believe we have rights. I'm, I'm all about that. But if we only think about rights and we don't think about responsibilities, we grow up with an entitlement mentality. And it's somebody owes me something. Whoever that person is, it could be the government, it could be, you know, the city, the county, uh, it could be welfare, it could be something else. And so I think when we bring this into church and we let Jesus speak into it, uh, Jesus will offend us because what Jesus speaks about is more about our rights than our, uh, more about our responsibilities than our rights. Um, and in the passage we're going to look at today, when, in our, look at our service on living generously, we're going to look at it in the area of service, in the area of ministry. And what Jesus is going to say is going to offend us. And I think it should offend us because we live in a culture that in this day and age, by and large, all we ever see in the media, all we ever see published, all we ever see pursued in academia is our rights. And we stand there demanding our rights. And that's great because we live in a free country. But if we don't ever get our head out of this country... And see the rest of the world, we won't understand what real responsibility is all about. So our definition of generosity, living generously through the series, it's not all about money. It's about living generously in every area of our life. Biblical generosity means living a radically generous life, not a technically generous life that I specifically, that I kind of, you know, towed the line. I filled the, you know, just up to the level there, but a radically generous life, living a radically generous life that's deeply unselfish in every area of our lives. Now, obviously Jesus is the forerunner of all of these. We see Jesus is very generous with his righteousness. And so we should be as well, not looking down on people on some kind of a spiritual scale, but giving our lives for people, whether they're a very moral person or whether they're very immoral in their life. Jesus loves everyone and he gave his life for them. Jesus was the one that showed up to hang out with the immoral people, right? The non-religious people. That's how he led 
we should be followers and follow in that path. We saw God's generosity and grace to us. Pastor Emma, he shared that message. You know, as we look at some of these things, as we walk through hospitality, obviously we should be hospitable to people. We should open up our heart. We should open up our home to people. Why? Well, because Jesus did that. He lived the most hospitable life, not just while he was on the earth. When you think about it. From the heavenly perspective, we looked last week at generosity when it comes to money and specifically on that subject of money. We look at that. It's like none of us deserve all that we have. So we should reflect back and give back because that's how Jesus was. Jesus led the way. And today I want to talk about that in the area of service. And Jesus's words will uh, confront us. And, and I, I, I'm thinking that some of us are going to push back on his words. Because when I first heard him, man, I pushed back on him. But if instead of pushing back, if you decide to lean into them just a little bit, you might see a greater perspective on, first of all, Jesus. And secondly, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Luke 17 is our passage, verses 7 to 10, just a couple verses. Page 799 in your chair Bible, if you have one of those. And we're going to see them on the screen. Now, Jesus is speaking and Luke, we're looking at the parables of Luke or the stories of Luke that relate to generosity uh, to the end of the year here. And this is what we see when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. Now, in the same way, this is the application for you and me. In the same way, when you obey me, you should simply say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Okay, so that's the story. Now, when you think about this, this can relate to any part of life. It can relate to work, can relate to school, it can relate to church, can relate to friendships, can relate to anything that you're a part of as by way of an organization or such. This is about an attitude of life. Now, let's look into this. First of all, when I read this, I was in high school. About my senior year, I read a book on serving, and it really gripped my heart. And, and yet, when this verse was brought up in that book, um, I didn't understand it, one. And what I did understand, I didn't like. Because, you know, everybody likes a pat on the back. Everybody likes an attaboy. If you're going to be a good boss, you know, you, you, you praise people. Because what's rewarded gets repeated, right? That's just a, a leadership phrase. And you reward people for doing a good job. But would you do a good job if you weren't rewarded is the question. And what is actually a reward when you think about it? And so Jesus is speaking into very much his culture, agrarian culture. And so this, this makes sense. Everybody understands this. Um, but when you think about it, Jesus is just talking about the day-to-day work that we do. When you go and do your work... Do you expect a reward or you just know that you've done a good job? That's the idea of responsibility. Okay. Not necessarily the right. But if you lean heavily into this, you discover something that is even more offensive. Take a look at this. When a servant comes in. Now, all of our modern Bibles uh, are translated from original languages. In this case, Greek, because that's the New Testament or Hebrew, the Old Testament. And a translator or a team of translators will attempt to take an original word. And the understanding of the word and carry it into our language and our culture and our time in such a way that carries the same emphasis as the original. However, most of our modern Bibles do not use the real word because the real word is not servant. The real word is slave. Now, immediately when we hear the word slave, 
We have emotions. We have a response. And I think we should. There's still slavery today around the world. There's uh, varying levels of that in certain countries, whether it's in prostitution or whether it's in some kind of service in a home. It's even happening in the United States. It's just under our noses. We don't see it. Um, but around the world, we, we know we see slavery, but we don't think about that. We think about our history as a country, right? And we have a horrific history when it comes to slavery without any question. But if we could just for a moment remove ourselves from our own history of, you know, 150, 200 plus years ago, if we remove ourselves from slavery in the British Commonwealth that goes back hundreds of years and we go back to the time of Jesus, it will help us. So if you want to be offended and if you want to lash out, I'll be in the foyer after service. Come attack me. Okay, but let's talk about what Jesus was talking about in the Roman world. At the time of Jesus, at the time of the Apostle Paul, who often used this word and wrote about this, slavery was a very, um, just a commonplace idea. Depending on the source you reference, for anywhere from 20 to 40% of the Roman world was considered a slave. Now, the word slave could take on a variety of meanings on a scale, a range to being someone as when we think a slave. And I'm going to say when I was a kid and I saw roots, Kunta Kinte, you know, someone who is captured, put in chains, bound, carried over in the belly of a ship and sold to slavery. That's that's the horrific. Right. And, and that could be part of it. Someone who is sold in a slave market. But it could also mean up to a person who is considered like a bond servant. A bond servant was someone who, believe it or not, volunteered for slavery. Now think about this. In the context of the Roman world, with almost up to 50%, at most maybe 40% of people in the Roman world being slaves, they were the tradesmen. They were the teachers, they were the physicians, they were the artisans, they were the cooks. Uh, they were the ones that made the empire run. And many of them were not just well-respected, but they were leaders. In fact, in the Roman world, the aristocracy, they didn't want to work, so they would employ people for slavery. So you could also at times use this word to understand employer-employee relationship, but it's only employee in the sense that you have to do this because you are Indebted to this, you could find yourself in a situation where because of the economy, you couldn't work. Therefore, you couldn't eat. You wouldn't have a place to live. Your family would live on the street. And so you would find, um, I will say, a benevolent person, a leader of a home or an organization. And you would say, hey, I want to work for you. But what that meant was you would go and indebt yourself to them and you would live in the master's house. You and your family would live there and you would and your family would work for the master and you would do the work there. And um, depending on the arrangement, you would get paid for that. You could actually have, you know, some kind of a investment that you could one day hope to earn your freedom and buy your way out of it. Or you could find yourself in such a situation. The Old Testament uses this word in the way to talk about the idea of, hey, I really find myself in a great spot. I like this. This is better than not having a job and living outside. And so my master is a great leader and a great person, a very kind person. I like this arrangement. So I am going to go to the master and say, I forever want to be your bond servant. 
I enter into an agreement with you that's a binding agreement, irrevocable arrangement to where I am now your slave for the rest of my life. Because I'm better off being your slave than living out on the street. And you would go to the master. The master would, there was an agreement made. They would take you, this is described in the, in the Old Testament, take you to the doorpost of a house and take your ear and drive an awl through that and cut this massive big hole in your ear and mark you as forever a slave of that master. Now, again, there's a range of this word slave. Pretty much when we think of it, we only think about our own history. Now, so what Jesus is saying is, and I'm going to read it again with that word, when a slave, now if you can not push back on that for just a minute and think about it in the variety of the context, Jesus is not condoning, he's just acknowledging, all right? Look at this. When a slave comes in from plowing, now that's a little different, right? He or she may or may not be paid for this. It might be part of life. Or taking care of sheep, Does his master, now the word master takes on a a different connotation, right? Does his master say, come in and eat with me? Well, you would never imagine that in a master-slave relationship, right? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. Well, yeah, because that's how a slave economy would work. And does the master thank the servant or really the slave for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. And then here's the application again for us. This is what Jesus is speaking to you and to me as his sons and daughters, okay? He says this, in the same way, when you, speaking to us, obey me, speaking about Jesus, you should say, we are unworthy slaves who have simply done our duty. Now, I don't know if that offends you. It sure offended me when I read it the first time. Because I don't want to think of Jesus that way. Or I don't want to think of myself that way, that I'm a slave of Jesus. So I think the problem then really is, what did we sign up for? In many ways, we live in a culture where we view God as uh, Santa Claus, uh, where we are on the nice list, or maybe some of you are on the naughty list, and we know who you are, because um, we have elves everywhere. Um, and, and as long as we stay on the nice list... Santa God is going to give us a present because that's what he's supposed to do, right? Or we view God as a vending machine for a drink or for a snack. And we go and we put in our hard-earned money that's ours and we work for that. And we put that in the machine and we push a button, a number, and we get out something. And if we don't, we kick it and we scream and we go and complain about it, right? We shake it until that thing comes out because that's the relationship we have with God, right? So I think we have a distorted view of our relationship with God. I think we have a distorted view of who we are. I think we think far too much of ourselves. And we think far less of who God really is. And so we get into this problem where we view God in kind of, he's our servant. Or he's our slave or he's our butler at least, right? We pull the ring, the string down here, and he comes and serves us. That's not what the Bible describes. That's not the relationship that we see between us and God. But I think in a blessed country, we think of ourselves that way everywhere. And so therefore we take that into our relationship with God. But according to scripture... We are all slaves. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans says, first of all, we're slaves to sin. (laughs) We are sold into slavery to sin. And our master is sin, and we will obey our master at every turn. 
okay. But then Jesus comes and he frees us from that. But by freeing us, we're now slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, no longer bound to sin, bound now to God. But we want to be free. We want to be our own God. But that's not what's offered to us. We thought we were our own God, but yet we were slaves to sin. Now we're free and we're in a right relationship with God. And what do we expect God to do? What do we expect ourselves to do? What does this relationship look like? Does God owe us? Or like Jiminy Cricket, you know, would sing, the world owes me a living. Sometimes it's not that other people owe me. Sometimes it's God owes me. I mean, we live a good life. We obey the rules. We go to church. We do all these things and we go, God, you owe me. Or we suffer and we have pain and sorrow and tragedy. And we go, because of all that I've gone through, God, you owe me, right? We can do this easily. We got a point system with God. God, look at all the things I've done for you. And now, God, you owe me, right? You know what the Bible says? The only thing that God owes us is eternal punishment because of our sins. That's what he owes us. That is what's right. And that would be our responsibility to pay for that for all eternity. Now, I know this is not a fun, pleasant message and we're not smiling because, wow, I feel so much better, you know, but think about, I'm happy because it's an awesome message. It's Jesus. Here's the thing. We have a great relationship with God, but only because God paid the price and he took up the responsibility of paying that. So now when we come back, we should say, this is what Jesus says. We are only unworthy servants. We've simply done our duty. Now that phrase there, unworthy, means uh, we don't deserve or need a reward. It means without need. Nobody owes us anything. In other words, when we live our lives, giving our lives for Jesus, serving Jesus and all that we do, that should be the reward. Because every breath we take... Every move we make. Um, sorry. I haven't been listening to the police too much lately. Um, not that police. The band. Um, you know, and so we end up in this scenario where everything we have is a gift back to us. Not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because he loves us. And so with this story, Jesus is saying, in your relationship with me, in relationship with God, don't think that God is here to serve you. Because, and in his culture, you're just slaves. You're either slaves to sin or slaves to me. And the ultimate slave to sin destination is eternal punishment. The ultimate slaves to me, slaves to righteousness destination is is with me forever in a relationship. So if you get it right, and this is so important for me as a high school student, when I got it right, I thought, this is what my life has to be about. Everything now has to be about giving it to God or to others. That I don't really own anything on my own anymore. That's this idea of generosity. I don't own it, so if God wants it, it's his, because it's his anyway. I'm just a, a steward, a manager of it. It's my time, it's my money, it's my house, all this stuff, right? My family. And so, when we think about this in the way of ministry and service, do we come to God as a volunteer? Or do we come to God as a servant, as a slave? See, as pastor, I see this a lot. We, uh, we volunteer for things. 
Uh, we get volunteers all the time. We get volunteers that come in from the city, Department of Corrections. We get people that volunteer because they have community hours, which technically that's not volunteering. <laughs> they have to get the hours in, but that's okay because we'll live life and share Jesus with them too. Um, and so people come in and they, they check their box. We sign their slip. But some of us act that way in church, right? We, we come to church. We deserve these things. We have rights and we have these things. And then uh, we were consumers and we kind of come with the expectation of I'm going to get something out of this because this is what I deserve versus I want to give my life away to others. And how do I find the best place to give my life away? How did God shape me? How did God wire me? That's what it means to be a servant or a slave because I'm only here because God reached out to me and saved me. Now, Again, if, if you think about that only in that context, it's easy to be offended. It really is because our sensibilities are slavery is wrong. Yes. However, Jesus is writing in a context, in a culture. And he's speaking here and he says, truly speaking, you're either slaves of sin or slaves of me. So you pick it. You pick your master, right? By nature, by birth, we're all sold to slavery, to sin. But by coming to Jesus, we're in his house now. And we're receiving all the rewards that come from our master, Jesus. And so, of course, we don't deserve a reward for that. Now, he will reward us. Jesus says that. He will say words to us like, well done, good and faithful servant. And on one level, I live for that. I give everything for that. But even if I don't get it here on the earth, I still want to serve. Because that's what I signed up for when I received Christ. Jesus was a servant. In fact... Jesus was a slave. Check this out. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to see this at Christmas weekend, but just, just quickly. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, to grasp, to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Same word, slave. Jesus, creator God, from the beginning of the Bible, we see that steps into the existence that he created and he takes the position of a slave. He takes on human form and he comes to serve and he gives his life for us and he dies for us on a cross. Now, so technically speaking, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's what you're following. You're following someone who gave up his high position, who gave up all of his rights as God. To take on the humble responsibility of giving up everything for us. And so that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means. It means that the world around us will only see Jesus in us when we die to ourselves and live for them. The world around us, our family around us, our school around us, our workplace around us will only see Jesus in us if we're truly following him. Meaning... We've died to ourselves. Yeah, I know we might have a title. Hey, I have a title here. I, I lead a lot of people, but I have to die to that. I don't, I don't want a title. I want a, a towel. You know, I don't want to have this position. In fact, I think that if you live this life, you push back honor. I mean, if you have to receive it, you receive it, but you don't live for that because the honor you're going to receive is knowing that I'm doing exactly what Jesus did. I'm following in his steps. Um, now, I, I know that this is a little difficult when we think about it, 
because we want to give a pat on the back to people and that's great. But when you and I live in a world where everybody gets a trophy, right? That's the world we live in. And we've raised generations of people expecting everybody to get a trophy. Sorry, a lot of people don't deserve a trophy, right? Only the winners do. I think if everything's still the same, my team is losing terribly right now to Kansas City, okay? All right. I kid you not. And when the Chiefs win today, sad to say, uh, the Raiders don't deserve a trophy for winning because they lost, okay? I'm not being prophetic. I hope the car can pull it out in the third quarter, okay? But the fact is, is that we don't all deserve a trophy, my friends. What we deserve is death. What we deserve is punishment away from God. But what God offers to us, what he offers to us is a brand new life in him. But it only comes when we die to ourselves and we don't treat God as our servant, but we are the servant of the most high God. Now, we're not the only ones that struggle with this. Uh, Jesus' own disciples struggle with this. I mean, they're, they're there with God in the flesh, okay? They're there walking with him, seeing this, hearing his words directly, and they struggle with it. There's a situation where Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem. He's traveling there. And on his way traveling there, he takes time to explain what's going to happen. It's pretty powerful. Rarely does he do this. But he tells his disciples on this road to Jerusalem, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned over to the religious leaders. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be handed to the Romans. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to come back again in three days. Now, when you hear that story, you're like, wow, thanks for throwing a damper on this party, Jesus. (laughs) The DJ was just starting to rock. And that ruined everything. You know what James and John do? This is in the Gospels several times. The first response out of their mouth is, hey, 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 Jesus, when you get to stand in your glorious kingdom, when you sit on that throne, can we sit on the left and right? Like, excuse me? Did you not hear what I'm going to do and you want to be a leader? So this is what happens. This is great. This is in Mark 10, Mark's version. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were mad. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, meaning they rule harshly. That's how leadership works in this kingdom. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Now that word servant is where we get the word deacon means like a table waiter. Someone who's willing to serve in any capacity, whatever the need is. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. That's our word that Jesus used. The slave of everyone else, a bond servant. It's an irrevocable relationship. We serve as a slave for even, and here it is, even the son of man himself. He said, even I came to be, not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Again, if you want to follow Jesus, it means that you need to give your life away. And we all give our lives away in some way to something, to some cause, to some people. What Jesus says is, I came to give my life away for your salvation, for your freedom. I came to die as a ransom for your sins. And now when we receive that, and I did that for me uh, 38 years ago, December of 1979, long long time ago, long time ago. Um, Some of you weren't even born yet. But I was a 15-year-old kid and finally got it. And I, I got this idea that God loved me and God gave his life for me. And, and, you know, all that I'd been putting my hope and trust in was pretty worthless and weak. 
And I responded in, in, in the yes. I said yes to following him. And I, I received Jesus as my Lord, meaning my boss and my Savior, meaning my forgiver. And recognized he gave his life as a ransom for my sin. And then at that point, it's like I gave everything to him. Bill Bright passed away. Great man. Led Campus Crusade for Christ. Came up with it around the world. Led untold number of young people to Jesus and discipled them. He always introduced himself this way. Bill Bright. A slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what Bill did, and his wife, when he came to Christ, he knelt down and he wrote a contract. This guy, I like, he's real literal. He wrote a contract out. And he wrote a contract that he was a slave of Jesus, that he was giving everything over, that God owned his business, God owned his life, God owned his family, God owned everything. And he signed it. It's like, that's my irrevocable contract. I want a visual representation that I died to myself and now God owns everything. And he said, I never went back on that contract. Because Jesus never went back on his contract to die for me. So he goes, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Bill walked this earth saying that. When you and I walk this earth thinking that and living that way, man, the world will see that. Because people will see Jesus and us because we follow Jesus who became a slave of all. And if you want to be great, you got to be slave. <laughs> this is a cool picture. I was in Rwanda. I was leaving the, the guest house, walking down to the school, to the college, to teach. And I saw this young guy. He had a bag. And he was picking up trash. Rwanda is a really beautiful country. Very clean. They, they pride themselves on their cleanliness. And so he um, picked up trash and he put it away. And I just was walking at a distance watching him. And as he got up and started to walk away, I read his shirt. Great people serve others. Matthew twenty twenty six. Now, I don't know if he knows English because a lot of people just know Kenya Rwandan there. And you'd be surprised what shirts people wear. Okay, they don't know what they mean um, from America. But uh, I saw a Budweiser church in shirt once. Uh, in, in church, shirt in church once. I'm like, I don't think he knows what that shirt means. But he's wearing a nice t-shirt, okay? Um, great people serve others. And I thought, that's it right there. And I just pulled out my phone and took a picture. If you want to be great in God's kingdom then you could be like the greatest, which is Jesus. And he came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. And and what that means for you and for me is there's got to be a point in time in our life when we sign that contract. When we say, okay, today is the day I die to myself. Today is the day I decide to no longer live for me, but live for God. Because what we discover is that God has already died for us. And he invites us to that life of living for him. And and the beautiful story of Jesus is he willingly went to a cross to die for our sins, to be executed so that he would pay the penalty of our sins. He gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. But you and I have to do this. We have to follow. We have to make this choice, this decision to say, today I choose to die to myself and live for God. And we have to respond to that message in a very real way. We can't just live into it or earn our way into it we have to come to a moment where we say today god is the day i give up trying to be god and i take on the humble position of your slave and so today is a day that i call out to you to save me today is the day that i recognize you're not santa claus and you're not a vending machine and i don't deserve anything but death so i cry out for you to save me and your ransom i want it for me now, I did that 38 years ago, and, I, and I, I've not lived a perfect life. I've got, I got struggles. I, get each, I have pride. I wrestle with this. But from top down at sunrise, we all strive every week to be a slave of God and of others. 
Yeah, there are times we volunteer. We kind of, you know, do it on our own motives. I know that. That's, that's our sinfulness. That's our selfishness. But when all is said and done, if the world's ever going to see Jesus in us, it's going to see Jesus in the way we give our lives away for them. Service is how Jesus came. He came not to be served, God in a body, but to serve and to give his life away, to become a slave of all. And that's our invitation. It's to come and serve God. Yeah, you do receive eternal life. You do receive forgiveness of sins. You do receive a fresh start, which is wonderful and amazing. But we don't do it because we deserve that or we've earned it. We do because it's a free gift of God given to us. And now we can exchange and have this moment where we say, okay, this is my life, God. This is what I've been working for. I've been a slave of sin. I want to be a slave of righteousness. I want to give my life to you because I know you're preparing a place for me. I know you've given your life for me. I know that you will come back and you will honor me and reward me. But I just do this simply because Jesus is my leader and I follow him. And that's the whole message of Sunrise Church from top to bottom is that that's why we serve because Jesus served. That's why we give, because Jesus gave. That's why we're generous, because we follow a very generous God who gave everything for us. And if you're here and sunrise is a new thing or church is a new thing, I'm really glad you're here. I know that might affect some of your sensibility to be, you know, think about the word slavery and everything. And I hope you can get around the cultural context that we live in and our own history to get to what Jesus was talking about. But what Jesus was simply saying is, if you want to follow me, You've got to die to yourself because that's what I did for you. Would you pray with me? The Bible says that we have to have the attitude of Jesus to give our lives. The Bible teaches us really clearly that God has called out to us and has offered us a new path to walk. No longer to be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. No longer to be living, constantly trying to pay off the debt of our lives, never making it, but to receive the ransom, the free gift of God through Jesus. Today could be a, good, could be a new day for you. It could be the day for you. As I did 38 years ago, you could call out to Jesus to save you. You could call out to receive the ransom for your own sins. It could be a fresh start. It could be, you could get a brand new heart today. A heart that recognizes that God created you to love you, to embrace you, to remold you in his image, and to use you for his great purpose. Why not pray with me? Dear God, you've said I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. So right now, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. And give me a new life in Jesus. Today, I openly declare that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And by the power of your words, I am saved to serve you and to those to whom you send me to go. To love others and to give my life away as an example of Jesus in the world today. For those of you who are already followers of Christ like myself and we need to get reset every once in a while, would you do that? Would you just come before Jesus, your master, who will one day hopefully say, well done, good and faithful servant, and come before him and just kind of reset the true north of your heart? 
to become a servant again, to become a slave, not a volunteer on your own terms, but a true servant of Jesus. Whatever the master says, that's what, that's what goes in your life. Father, we love you and we give this time to you as an act of worship, as an act of service. Move in our hearts, Lord, to be the people, to be the church that shows a difference in the world today as we follow you. We pray in your name. Amen.